0: with you. We're looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Today is sermon number 20 in Galatians, and it's the last sermon of this series. Next week we'll be looking at some Old Testament stuff for a little bit. If you have a Bible, you can follow along from verses 11 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your order of worship, or you can use your um, phone or anything else you'd like. So I say to you, hear the word of God. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast." except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. It's the the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would come and that you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf even this morning. I pray if, if, if there's someone here who's been here this whole time and after 20 sermons hasn't gotten it yet, that you would uh, make the gospel clear this morning. I pray for myself that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things, amen and amen. So, I'll start with a question this morning, as I often do. And so, the question is what holiday is next weekend? I'm hearing a lot of Halloween. Harvest party. party. No! (laughs) It's Reformation Day next week. Come on, (laughs) we're Presbyterian. Actually, Reformation Day is October. Uh, 31st, and Reformation Sunday is next Sunday. We we are doing the Harvest Party. Um, But basically, Reformation Day, why do we have it? Like, you know, if you've been here for a while, you know I'm not a big fan of made-up holidays. But if we're going to make one up, this is a good one to have made up. Right? What is Reformation Sunday? Why do we celebrate that? It's because Reformation Sunday, Reformation Day, which actually happened October 31st, 1517 is the day when Martin Luther uh, went and he was struggling with the gospel, he was reading the Bible, he was seeing people sell indulgences, which if you're not familiar with what that means, it's like, let's say you cheated on your taxes and you're feeling guilty about it, you can go and the priest, you pay the priest a little money also, and he would say, you're blessed, you're good to go. And so Luther's like, yeah, I'm reading the Bible now, and it, that, that didn't really seem to jive. And so he basically, it's just, it's, in many ways, it's like their version of Facebook. He just took his, what he was thinking, wrote down 95 things, and nailed them to a wall for other people to, to read and to respond to. Now, what I don't think he planned on was the fact that the printing press had just been invented. So within two weeks, those 95 theses have been printed and spread throughout all of Germany. And within two months, they have made it to all of Europe. And everything was sort of on fire with what Luther had talked about. And so at the end of the day, what Reformation Day comes to celebrate is a rediscovery of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And if if you're not sure what that means, well, for one thing, today in Discover New Hope, Part two, That's today's the day we talk about that kind of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, it's what this whole letter is about. So it seems appropriate that we, we would sort of end here, that the, the letter that, that really drove Martin, Martin Luther was converted by reading Romans, but the letter that really informed his understanding of what it meant to be justified, what it meant to be made right with God by faith alone, without any kind of works added to it, was the book of Galatians. And so as we finish the book of Galatians, it's interesting because if you remember the whole, basically the theme of the book of Galatians that Paul would say is that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus died for our sins, and by faith in in Christ alone, we will be saved from our sins. And not only are we saved from our sins, but we are made as righteous as Jesus. In other words, God takes all of our sin and gives it to Jesus and all of his goodness, his righteousness, and gives it to us. That's what Reformation Day celebrates, and if you get to the end of the book of Galatians, that's what the Apostle Paul sort of summarizes for us. He summarizes this whole book, what he's been saying up to this point. And before we jump into what he actually said since this is the, the end, I wanted to point out how important Paul thinks his summary of the book of Galatians is. Notice in verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, doesn't that seem like a bizarre statement to just put in the middle, in the middle of this chapter? Because Paul usually, for one thing, used a, an amanuensis or a secretary. He would dictate his letters. So apparently, he's taken the, the, the goat scanner, whatever he's writing on parchment, and he writes, see what large letters I'm using. Now, there are two theories as to why he says this. I think one of them is wrong. And I'll tell you which one. So the first one is a lot of people... If you remember, in, in, at some point, Paul says talks about a thorn in the flesh. And many people think that what Paul is saying here is he's sort of playing the pity card. He's got bad eyes. Remember remember earlier he said, I was so bad when I was with you, I was basically a, a, a horror to you, but yet you received me as an angel of God. And some people think that what Paul is referring to is his sort of nasty eye disease and he can't really see the paper and so he's writing big and so they know it's him. I don't think that's why he's doing it. I think he's doing it for emphasis. So think about this, when you're writing an email... or or text for that matter, and you want to really emphasize something, what do you do? You write all caps, don't you? In in fact, etiquette says you're not supposed to do that because it's like screaming. In, In some sense, I think what Paul is doing here is saying to them, I'm coming to the end. Notice I'm writing in all caps here. This is important. I want you to hear everything that I say. I think he's doing it for a matter of emphasis. So that's what verse 11. Now, it's interesting because the way he ends the passage is also interesting. As we talked about this whole letter of Galatians, remember I told you at the beginning that it's distinctive from the rest of Paul's letters uh, in many ways, but in one particular way it's distinctive because it's one of the only letters, if not the only letter, that he doesn't open up and say, I thank God for you. I mean, if you look at his other letters where he's dealing with pretty significant problems, like in the Corinthian church, he's dealing with people suing each other, people uh, having sex with their in-laws, all sorts of things, and yet he opens the letter by saying, I thank God for you. In other words, the gospel is changing them, and now he has to come in and say, well, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't do that. The Galatians, on the other hand, they were were struggling with self-righteousness. They were starting to add things to the gospel. And Paul doesn't say, he doesn't open up by saying, I thank God for you. Instead, he opens up by saying things like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why have you left your first love? And so he starts this letter differently on one hand. On the other hand, he ends the letter differently. And it's important to notice what he says in verse 18 to them. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, or that probably should be translated brothers and sisters, amen. The other letters, he doesn't say that. He might say grace and peace to you or something like that, but he actually here, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. In other words, he's written them an incredibly hard letter. He has sounded pretty harsh sometimes, like remember the time he told the guys he wishes they would just go all the way with their circumcision, that kind of stuff. He said some very difficult things, and yet the very last thing he wants to remind them is that they're still family. They're still his brothers. They're still his sisters. That, that just because he has spoken the hard truth to them doesn't mean they're kicked out of the house. Just because he's spoken hard truth to them doesn't mean he doesn't love them. He reminds them at the very end, I know this has been hard, but remember we are family. You are not kicked out of the house because of this. In fact, you are even more dear. So, with all of that said, the, the middle section he breaks I'm going to break down into three sections, and basically the three things we're going to look at this morning are a familiar story. We're going to look at a four-letter boast, and then we're going to look at all that matters." I didn't change my slide, but that was supposed to be like provocative, right? A four-letter boast. We'll get there. <laughs> so let's look first at a familiar story, verse 12 and 13. Notice he says, "It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. So now think about what we had last time. We we talked about last week is that Paul basically, the last thing he ended with was basically do good to all men, right? That the if you're a Christian, you should be doing good to all men, you should be helping other people, that kind of thing. And now you can imagine the Judaizers hearing this, or the the people who are Paul's opponents hearing this, and saying, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're just trying to help out here. And the way we're trying to help out is help you have a better relationship with God. And in their opinion, what you need to do is you need to trust Jesus, but if you really want to be sure, you need to also be circumcised. And If you really, really want to be sure, you should be circumcised and obey a bunch of different calendar dates from the Jewish calendar. We're just trying to be helpful here, right? Our intentions are good. And Paul, instead of acknowledging that their intentions are good, instead he actually points out their motivations. And the motivations of those who would come in and preach some other gospel, he says, are threefold. There's three of them. The first one is they want to look good in their own eyes and feel good about themselves. Notice this verse twelve he says "It is those who wanted to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised that they, they want to make a good showing in the flesh to force you to, they want to feel good about themselves they want to be able to go around and say, "Look at all these people that we had that we got circumcised like look at all these people we helped out like isn 't that awesome Don't, aren't I a good person God isn't that cool? They wanted to feel good about themselves they wanted to look good in their own eyes that 's the first thing. The second thing is they wanted to avoid Persecution. Notice what he says. um, He says, and only in order that they may not be persecuted. This verse 12, for the cross of Christ. Now it's interesting here because at the time of the writing of this letter, Romans weren't persecuting Christians. If you ask people who persecuted Christians, you would think, well, the Romans. And the Romans eventually would persecute Christians. Eventually, a lot of people would persecute Christians. But at the writing of this letter, the only people who persecuted Christians were Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. And remember, the people who came in and were teaching this sort of false stuff were from Jerusalem. And what Paul is basically saying is they came here. On one hand, they want to feel good about themselves. On the other hand, they wanted to, to, to avoid pain. They wanted to avoid persecution. It's almost as if they were on a quota system. Those of you who have been in sales... Right when you're in sales, you've got this quota out in front of you, and you're always worried about whether you're going to make your numbers. And if you don't make your numbers or you're getting close, you're worried about meeting with your manager who says, you know, are you going to make your numbers or not going to make your numbers? Are you sure you want to work here? Are you sure this is the right company for you? You know, all these kinds of things. So they don't want to face up to the people who are going to persecute them. Or the people who are going to make their lives inconvenient. And so they want to make their numbers, right? Whatever that, those numbers are. They want to be able to go back to Jerusalem and say, we are very successful in making all those Christians get circumcised. So now they're on the right uh, boat, right? So that's the second thing. They want to avoid persecution. The third thing is they just wanted to look good to others. Notice verse 13. He says, "For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. That they want to be able to boast to other people that look at all these people that we've had circumcised here they want to look good on the outside as long as they look good on the outside they're okay now why did i put the heading for this section a familiar story and the reason i did that is the reason it's a familiar story is because the struggle what he said about the judaizers what he said about his opponents it's the struggle in my experience of every christian that i know That all of us want to feel good about ourselves. All of us want to feel like we did good things in God's sight. Most of us want to avoid pain and persecution. Most of us want to look good on the outside, even if the inside isn't that great. As long as other people think I'm doing okay, then I'm fine. I mean, if you look at it, there are lots of stories out there about people who, who, after a year or two of perfect Instagram posts after their marriage, get divorced. Why? Well, it's because the only thing they're posting to the outside is all the smiles and all the sunsets, when in reality, their lives are miserable, and they don't get it. And that, we all do that. And so, it's easy to look at Paul's opponents or the Judaizers and say, mm-mm-mm, they just don't get it. When if we're honest, we don't get it either. You see, we don't, if you want to feel good about yourself, consider this. Consider that the God of the universe gave His only Son for you that you were so dear to him, that you were so important to him, that he gave everything on your behalf. You want to look good on the outside? Don't worry about that, because you've already got the affirmation of the only one who matters, God himself. And if you've trusted Jesus, I say that all the time, you are as pleasing to God right now as you ever will be. Now what you're calling is, if you've trusted Jesus, is to simply be what you are. It's to live out this thing called the gospel. Paul basically says these guys they can boast in the fact that they got a lot of circumcisions, they can boast in the fact that the people in Jerusalem like them, but Paul says I'm going to boast in something completely different, and that's where he goes next. And it's really a four-letter boast here. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, "But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which by the world has been crucified by which the world has been crucified to me." and I to the world. Now this, this letter, this boast that he has is a scandalous boast, and it's a scandalous boast because it is four letters. And the four letters are, if you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. If you're a kid, you might want to cover your ears. The four letters are C, R, U, X crux. In Greek, it's literally a four-letter word. But in Paul's day, it would have literally been what we consider to be a four-letter word, a curse word. Why would it be considered a, a curse word? It would be considered a curse word because at the crux is where the most scandalous criminals were executed by the state. The crux is where punishment was meted out for all those who didn't meet the mark of the Roman government. And so when Paul says that I boast in the crux, it really is scandalous. What he's saying is, I'm boasting in a crucified Messiah. I'm boasting in one that who actually died the death of a criminal. But we all know the criminal he died for was not just Paul, it was all of us as well. You see, there's three crucifixions in this passage. One of them is implied. That's the crucifixion of Jesus on behalf of those who would trust him. That Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And when he rose from the dead, he changed everything. So Paul says, on one hand, that's, I, I boast in that cross, but it's important to understand what boasting even means here. We tend to think of boasting as just bragging, right? Like one of my favorite preachers is, is a woman, named Paige Benton, and part of the reason I, I like her is because she's southern, and when she preaches, she has this great southern drawl, and, and I remember she would always say, you know, like she's from Mississippi, and she'd say, one of the things they say about Mississippi, th- th- it, when you boast, she'd say, it ain't bragging if it's true. Right? So if I say I'm an awesome this or that, and if it's true, well, it ain't really bragging, it's just fact. That's not what Paul is talking about here. When Paul says I boast in the cross, he means something different there. Let me read to you. This is a quote from John Stott. John Stott says what it means about boasting. It means something more than bragging. And now I quote He says it means to boast in, to glory in, to trust in, rejoice in. Revel in, live for. The object of our boast, our glory, fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. So Paul, when Paul says, I boast in the cross, he doesn't just say, I'm bragging about the fact that that happened. What he's saying is that the cross fills every bit of my vision that every bit of what drives me, every bit of what pulls me along, everything that I am is driven by my glory, which is the cross. And he says, so on one hand, I boast in that, and he, then he goes on to say the other two crucifixions here. He says that by which the, this cross of Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does he mean by that? Remember we sang the hymn, When I Survey, and he says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, what? I sacrifice them to his blood. Paul says, "The, the world, all the things in the world that would get my attention have been crucified to me. Those things have been killed. They no longer take up my vision. They no longer take up my glory. They no longer take up all of my time. What does take up my glory, my time, and my boasting is this thing called the cross of Christ. And he says, not only has the world been crucified to me, but I have been crucified to the world. That I'm not gonna keep giving myself over to the things that the world wants of me, to the things that the world demands of me, to to the pressures that the world puts on me. Doesn't that sound pretty freeing? That you wouldn't have to worry about what people thought about you? That you wouldn't have to worry about whether or not people liked your Facebook posts or, or retweeted you or anything else like that? Paul says that's possible if the cross is your glory and nothing else. He says that is my boast. Notice, let me read to you Philippians 3, what he means by that. Philippians 3. By the time Paul got to the end... He says, well, I'm going to read you the the whole thing. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless." that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in the sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, all the things in the world I count as rubbish. Another four-letter word, by the way. And that's the kind I can't say in church. At least my wife says I can't. That Paul says nothing. It, 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 the, the, the cross should be everything. And if the cross is everything, then, then what about the other things? And that's where Paul goes next. He talks about all that matters. So he goes from, from basically a familiar story to a four-letter boast to that, the fact that for him the gospel has become all that matters. Notice verses uh, 15 and 16. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. It's, it's interesting. He, he basically says neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, neither legalism counts for anything nor people who, who hate legalists <laughs> count for any, anything. In other words, it, we, it, it's easy to break down into two camps, right? People who think they're legalists and people who like, look at them like they don't get it because they're legalists. And as soon as you say that, that makes you just as bad as them, right? And he says these things, whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, don't count for anything. And if you look at the history of the church, much of the history of the church is about the church arguing over things that don't really matter in the end, at the end of the day. Like a while back I was reading, you know that choirs were introduced into church in the year 1200. Up until that point, it was just... It was, it, it was just um, one singer one chanter one leader and and someone said wouldn't it be great if we put a whole choir in front of the church in the year 1200 and you know what people did they started writing letters to the pastor you're going to ruin the church you're this is a slippery slope toward liberalism downhill once you add a choir then all the music is going to become contemporary and it's going to be horrible in this church that was in the year 1200. we'll add go a couple hundred years more and you get rid of the choir and what happens Letters to the pastor. All that matters is the choir. All that matters is the building. All that matters is this. And you know what Paul says? None of that matters. Ultimately. What matters is, and he doesn't even say the cross here. Here he actually takes us and he summarizes not just the book of Galatians, but he summarizes the whole Bible. Let me read that to you again. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. He has, in that one phrase, he has, he has in some sense summarized the whole Bible. What do I mean by that? You see, the whole Bible is a story basically in four parts. It's creation, right? God created everything. It's fall, and at, at the fall of man happened, and everything was cast. It wasn't shalom or the way it should be anymore, and then the rest of the Bible is about redemption. So you have creation, fall, redemption, and then the fourth part is restoration or new creation. Paul says the only thing that matters is what God is doing in the world, and he is renewing all things. Notice what it, when we did the confession of sin today, what I said to you. If anyone is in Christ, there's what? There is new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Paul says that's the only thing that matters. And you see, just the same way that God created the heavens and earth out of nothing, and it was completely dependent upon his action, in the same way you and I are dependent to be recreated upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, John said in John 3:16, 16, um, and John, all of John chapter 3, Jesus says that unless you are born again, what? You can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born from above, unless God actually moves upon you, you can't see the kingdom of God. Everything is about grace, everything is about God taking initiative with us and recreating us through the cross of Christ. And we experience that through not just faith, but by faith alone. And I love the way Paul ends here. I'll, I'll finish with this. He says in verse 17, he says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, (laughs) for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is he saying there? One thing I love about Paul is he sort of gives preachers, pastors, the freedom to be honest. He says basically he's come to end this letter and he says this he says he says okay I've told you everything there is to tell you now stop causing me trouble zip it and he says why for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus what is he saying to them when he says that I think he's basically saying this that if you read the rest of his letters we know that Paul was was beaten to within an inch of his life several times some places it looks as if he's actually killed and raised again and his body is covered with the scars of persecution and he basically says to them i bear on my body the marks of jesus if you doubt my resolve i think is what he's saying to them if you doubt my resolve to 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 continue with this thing called the gospel if you doubt my resolve to 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 not continue to preach christ alone or if you doubt my resolve if you think that in any way i'm going to give in to the circumcisers just look at my body I would rather die. Would we have the same resolve? Would we have even some of that resolve that Paul has? Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning as we finish this letter of Galatians, I thank you for it. I thank you for the things that I needed to hear, the things I constantly need to hear, things like that I I am a beloved son, things that I I have been adopted and that that by you we call out Abba, Father, that, that we're not kicked out of the house because of hard truth, but in fact we're saved by hard truth. Pray that you work these hard truths into the lives of our congregation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.